You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Alexander Karp, CEO and co-founder of Palantir, joins the Post to talk about the challenges faced by governments around the world in relying on technology and software to respond to the coronavirus pandemic. Let's listen. Welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm David Ignatius, a columnist for the Post. This morning, we're joined by Alexander Karp, the chief executive of Palantir Technologies, a leading data analytics uh, company in Silicon Valley. We're going to be talking about Palantir's role uh, in trying to work with the terrible problem of COVID-19 and other issues involving data analytics. But uh, Alex, first I want to ask you to begin by talking about the news that's on every viewer's mind, and that's the storming of the U.S. Capitol building yesterday. What are your own thoughts? Well, you know, we we began um, to build Palantir uh, almost 17 years ago with um, a focus on strengthening uh, U.S. and Western institutions uh, to support uh, democracy and make all of our lives better. Uh, So by reducing terrorism and uh, increasing civil liberties and, um, you know, when 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 I see what happened uh, yesterday and Honestly, uh, when I watched the inflammatory tone of uh, some of our uh, elected leaders that led to this, uh, it's it's quite concerning, and I would say also depressing. Um, as a citizen uh, of the U.S., but also as someone who's been pretty actively involved in, in national security and some of the more important parts of protecting democracy. Uh, it, it severely corrodes trust in the government. It damages uh, the view that our allies and very competent non-allies have of, of the promise of American democracy. Um, and I, I really hope that all leaders of all parties uh, get their act together. Um, and there's there's a disobedience a disagreement is crucial to, to, to democracy. It's it's what makes uh, living in a democracy so special. But there's a line where we begin uh, portrayals that uh, corrode the very institutions that uh, preserve this discourse, and that line was crossed. Um, and those of us who've played a crucial role in the enforcement of law, uh, especially, uh, need to uh, speak up and. Uh, it um it, it's also something by the way you know if there's a lot that america has to do to, to bolster its defenses but if we're going to have uh these kind of events it's very hard to um have strong national security because the internal structures are just won't won't support it and the charisma of the american project uh will be tarnished and by was tarnished by by these events that's a good description of the national security cost that we paid for what happened yesterday. Uh, Alex, you've been a, a critic in many instances of Silicon Valley. It was interesting that the big social media companies yesterday, Twitter and Facebook, essentially withdrew their platforms from Donald Trump, uh, at least temporarily, uh, thinking that it just wasn't appropriate to, to, to make them available. What's your own thought ab- about that? Sh- should social media companies be allowing 
the dissemination of what the, the courts have found or is false information by the president, or should we uh, say that's enough, no more? Well, you know, in in general, first of all, the S Silicon Valley is in a difficult position because there were there were there's really been two phases of Silicon Valley. The first phase, which helped us win World War II, that led to um, our increased freedom and liberty technology, dual purpose technologies, primarily built for the military, repurposed um, for commercial uh, utilization. And that, that Silicon Valley bolstered our nation. Uh, I happen to believe the president crossed uh, a really important line in, 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 in this case, and that uh, we all have to take do what we need to do. And we at Palantir certainly would not support any actions of this kind. Uh, the, the problem is Silicon Valley has become so divisive, I worry that any action that, that they take might actually end up bolstering uh, these, uh, this, this kind of transgressionary uh, behavior. However, um, you know, this, 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 what we saw yesterday, just it's, it's a break, breaking point. And uh, for once, you know, I've been very critical of Silicon Valley, as you know, we moved our office to Denver. I would say for once, I'm largely in support of uh, Silicon Valley's actions. That's uh, fascinating, given, given the history, and we'll get into it, of your your recent criticism of Silicon Valley. I want to ask you just one more thing, Alex, before we turn to Palantir and the specifics of, of what it does. In the aftermath of the seizure, storming and seizure for a time of the Capitol, the Business Roundtable, very distinguished group of, of uh, big American companies, some of the top uh, uh, CEOs, Brad Smith uh, of Microsoft, uh, others have have issued uh, very strong statements. The Business Roundtable essentially condemn what are called un unlawful actions uh, to, to challenge our, our, our political transition. Would you endorse those kinds of statements uh, by the business leadership and, and join in a general business uh, insistence that we now proceed with an orderly transition of power? Absolutely, and I would, I, I think, I mean, look, there's the business leaders as important parts of our society. Uh, they're political leaders, which as important parts of our society. They're spiritual leaders as important parts of our society. They're academic leaders as important parts of our society. And they're national security experts uh, and former uh, heads of, of services. And I think we're, we're at a point with uh, what happened where really everyone uh, involved in a leadership position needs to uh, articulate what their position is. Uh, I um, believe that, um, uh, yeah, that we as business leaders, but also more importantly, just as people that may have influence because of accomplishments or who we know, uh, take a take a really direct, uh, open and firm stand. Um, and uh, and I'm hopeful that that if we're you know unified, that will have a pretty significant impact on political leaders. Uh, you know. I, I think just as a larger issue, and it's probably outside the bounds of what I should say, but this this is like there's a certain monicum of uh, adult leadership necessary to run a significant organization of any kind, whether it's a university, uh, a newspaper, a church, a synagogue, a mosque. Uh, this this is below that line, and, and we shouldn't tolerate it. 
Uh, that is a strong statement, and in, in my view, not at all outside the line. Thank you for for sharing it. Let's talk a little bit about about Palantir and and what it does. Uh, you often like to stress what it doesn't do. It it doesn't uh, own data. Uh, it's it's not in the business of sharing data, but but it is in the business of analyzing big data. And maybe you could just explain to us what this technology that. Palantir applies to data is all about. When somebody retains Palantir, becomes one of your customers, what, what are they buying from Palantir? Well, they're they're what they're buying and there's what they're buying and what they're getting. What they're in the end buying is is a result uh, based on their data so that they can make a decision, not that we can make a decision. And how they make the decision comes down to their level of technical acuity. Some people use ML at the final mile, some people use data analytics, but what they're actually buying is a platform built years before it was needed that would allow you to replace, or in some case, some cases replace parts of your platform that would you would need to answer seemingly simple questions. So as an example, if you have hundreds and hundreds of data sets and you have to ask a simple question of how many people can fit into this hospital in this neighborhood, you've got to integrate all those data sets before you can answer ask and answer that question. And uh, and then you have to have a series of software products. And you may have three of the software products, but you don't have 14 of them. They, and so what Palantir does is we essentially collapse the time needed from the time you realize that your infrastructure is not working to the time you can ask and answer the question. And we did that by essentially predicting that uh, times before five or six years out before we built the product would be very different than when we built the product. And so. Um, our product is used to maintain airplanes to help people drill for oil and gas in the national security context. It powers most uh, most of the uh, police intelligence work in in Europe, uh, and uh, because of its data protection. But what you're really getting is an ability to replace or augment the software products you have uh, overnight or within the context of a couple weeks. Uh, so that you can ask and answer context and uh, questions in a critical context, either in the commercial or the government context, uh, and that that's that's how we ended up being the engine behind uh, most uh, anti-terror institutions in the West, uh, a number of the largest uh, economic institutions in the West, and why uh, Palantir's in 35 countries, uh, helping to mitigate the disaster incurred in the wake of the of the COVID pandemic. And before we ask you about how you apply this uh, Palantir uh, approach to understanding data to current healthcare problems, I want to ask about Palantir's origin story, which, as you said, is in the counterterrorism CT area. Uh, it's said uh, sometimes about Palantir in, in print that your technology was useful to the uh, Obama administration and, and to the CIA under Leon Panetta in the hunt for Osama bin Laden. Let me just ask you, is that true? Well, you know, Palantir, I mean, it's one of those questions, obviously, when you run a company like mine, you're, you're never allowed to answer. But what I can tell you is, um, you know, Palantir stopped, disrupted some of the largest terror attacks you've never heard of. Um, and uh, many of the anti-terror events you read about are, in fact, uh, the result not of Palantir, but of the incredible people that use Palantir all over the world. All right, we'll we'll be we'll we'll stick with that as an answer. Let's let's turn to to the 
COVID nightmare, which is uh, something uh, causing death and destruction around the world today. And the way in which Palantir is working with the Department of Health and Human Services, uh, I think also with Operation Warp Speed to try to help get better analytics. Uh, Alex, as we look at the development of vaccines, we're all uh, just extraordinarily pleased by how fast that, that that happened. But as we look at the distribution process seeming to break down, we throw up our hands again. What would Palantir be able to do to help us, help HHS in this period going forward, distributing vaccines, getting the country healthy again, preparing for the next pandemic? Um, well, Palantir is involved globally in, um, and as to use the two places we're most prominently involved are the US, UK, but a number of other countries in um, al allowing people who are doing the planning to understand exactly what's happening on the ground, distribute PPE. So for example, which hospitals are overutilized, -util which hospitals have capacity, which hospitals need PPE, which ones have too much, which ones have too little. Um, uh, and so, uh, and that's and then on vaccine distribution, most notably in the U.S. and the U.K., um, the 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 Operation Warp Speed, uh, which uses Tiberius, is a, built on top of Foundry, um, uh, uses Foundry. Uh, Foundry is your basic Palantir infrastructure, so our our viewers will yeah. understand that. Sorry, the, um, and um, what what Foundry allows them to see and decide is they uh, it's it's essentially a dashboard unifying the hundreds of data sets that make up uh, the production of vaccines, the distribution of, of vaccines up to the state level. So how many vaccines are produced, how many can be shipped, and where do they go? The, the central issue in America, less so in England because they have a centralized healthcare system, is uh, the delta between vaccines that are delivered to the state and the actual doses that arrive in people's uh, arms. And so we, ha we have a serious issue with that in America, as is, I think commonly known and was discussed by your guest yesterday, that there's a, a roughly a 12 million, 12 million delta between the vaccines, or roughly 17 million vaccines delivered to states, roughly 5.4 administered. Um, Palantir brings those vaccines to the states, and then there's a question as what we as a society can do to resolve that problem. Now, you know, one of the things that makes America particularly interesting, complicated, and great is that states have a lot of rights, and they use local uh, they use local ways of distributing. Each one has a different infrastructure. Um, what I'm hopeful will happen, especially once we get past this uh, incredibly discouraging and depressive events of the last couple of days, is the new administration will also uh, be in a position to have uh, better discourse with states. Uh, states will, uh, will will begin to develop best practices. That's what software could do, and what we obviously be willing to do is to help them uh, administer the policies they develop uh, uh, more accurately, quicker. One of the things that's super interesting about software is it allows you to compress time. So you know we what which should not be possible distributing. Uh, we need to get roughly 300 million vaccines to America to get hit herd immunity is something that will only happen if we unify as a country and we use the best technology, especially software available, because the, the, the amount of vaccine per day is just surpasses what we would normally be doing as a country. Uh, the, the British uh, distribution uh, has certain attributes we don't have because they're just more centralized. Um, and so uh, they're, um, but in any case, what we're doing is providing a dashboard so that every single person involved in Operation Warp Seed can actually track 
uh, distribution, uh, how much is being produced, where is it going, and if there's any dis disruptions between uh, manufacturing and final handoff to the state. So let me ask you a, a, a question that goes to the heart of, of what we're talking about here with vaccines. Ask, ask it to you as a, as a data analyst, not a, in a political sense. Is it going to be possible to have an orderly system for distribution of this vaccine or future vaccines and future healthcare crises if we don't have in America a somewhat more centralized system so that we just have better, cleaner data and we know what's going on? Well, um, uh, you know, another way of answering your question is to, is to posit, which I would say, which I think is unfortunately obvious, this will not be the last pandemic. And so, you know, one of, one of the things that's made American uh, software companies dominant in the world is that we look at the mistakes uh, that we've made, that we're making. We try to figure out what they were. We're fairly non-judgmental about them, and we iterate so that the next time around we're dramatically more effective. Um, assuming that this will happen again, there's a whole series of things we need to put in place. I mean, just banalities we all know, but they're so large we forget. This is right now 361 some Americans have died. That number within the next couple of weeks is going to surpass the number of people that died in World War II. Um, this, this is already 100 times larger in terms of human life than, than what was inflicted upon us in 9-11. Um, this is something that we in the West cannot afford to uh, address in a, in, a, in a way that's better than, than this time. And so what, what would need to happen? Now, there, there are lessons both in building software companies and doing um, cybersecurity that are quite helpful. First of all, you need an unbroken chain between uh, attribution. Where did the pandemic begin? How did it begin? Under what conditions did it begin? Uh, that data has to be something that is shared freely and examined uh, internationally, not just by America, both so that we understand it and as credibility. Uh, that data has to be immediately sh shared with vaccine producers. We probably need to figure out a way to use uh, uh, the most advanced computational technologies we have, most advanced software technologies to accelerate vaccine production and uh, approval. Approval, as you know, is a, is a super important issue in America and broadly in the West. Uh, you have in, in all Western countries something like 30% of the population unwilling to take a vaccine. That's not just an American issue, by the way. You have it's roughly the same numbers in France, higher in France, roughly the same in, 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 in Germany and in England. And to get herd immunity, you need to get probably to 80%. So we have a legitimation crisis on vaccines that, that is not primarily technology. And it, and it can only, in my view, be solved by, by providing transparency in the actual approval and after it's an administered, because otherwise we as demise. Another super hard thing that we have to look at is we, we do not want to pretend or obviously attempt to um, change the basic way in which we live in order to get pandemics under control. And that makes vaccines ever even more important because if you're going to expand civil liberties and fight pandemics, you're going to have to do that with vaccine and increase legitimacy. Uh, software, uh, uh, the way in which vaccines are developed, uh, and honestly, uh, more credible political leadership. Uh, can actually make a huge difference in, in that problem. But you, you really need all three because if the vaccine is delivered too slowly, then you have, you have compounding math working against you. Uh, if the vaccine is delivered on time, but people don't believe they will take it, you can't get to herd immunity. And, uh, and then in, in democracies, we, we need to convince people, not force people. 
Um, and so those, by the way, the, the, the element of obviously what, it, what analytics, data integration, uh, ML, AI will play a role in that whole chain, but the, they play a role primarily in two ways. One, acceleration of time, and two, creating transparency. By the way, transparency is a, a specialized issue, specialized concept in, in software because you, you both create transparency of what's happening in the data, but you can anonymize the people uh, involved in acquiring the data. And so that, that's obviously necessary uh, in, in correspondence with our generally held civil liberties. Let's t turn to an issue that, that has been a central one for you in an ongoing debate you've had really with your colleagues in Silicon Valley. And that's your feeling that in terms of values, there's a kind of breakdown between what you see in the valley and what you think is, is appropriate. Um, in your S1 filing that accompanied uh, some of the paperwork associated with, with going public, you, you said, we seem to share fewer and fewer of the technology sector's values and commitments. And you went on to say, we've chosen sides and we know that our partners value our commitments. And by chosen sides, you mean you've really chosen sides with the United States your, your country and with Western democracies as a group. Is, do you feel that other Silicon Valley companies have failed to do that? And what, what advice would you give to the Google employee who's uncomfortable working on Project Maven or some other Pentagon project to, to try to convince him that that's a mistake? There's a, there's a series of super important questions there. Um, uh, just starting from the beginning, um, th this country uh, and, and a lot of the norms that we cherish was built on uh, economic uh, prosperity and part powered by our ability to, to, to develop technology that was useful for individuals, uh, not just useful in making a couple uh, of a small number of people on the West Coast rich. Um, and, uh, and so that you have, a I would call Silicon Valley one which was the Manhattan Project, a lot of the technologies that are even powering this call. So computer technologies, internet technologies, those were built by the military and shared with humanity, both for America and the world's good. Uh, consumer internet, uh, you can debate it back and forth. It's very hard to define what utility it has. And I do in part blame it for creating uh, an enormously tribalistic America where people are ever more convinced that their ever narrow opinion is the only one that matters. And, uh, that combined with, I, I think, great economic disparity in part because we're not investing enough in technology, I think is responsible with, for some of the problems we have today, not all of them, and in no way excusing the, the current behavior of the last couple of days. Um, the, 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 so that, so I, I do think Silicon Valley has to ask very simple questions, and that I don't think everyone has to agree on the answer, but like, what is your value proposition, actual value proposition to the average person in America and among our allies in the world. Then you asked another set of questions, which is, 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 is a super subtle question. And we have the same question at Palantir, but an employee that for whatever reason doesn't feel that uh, uh, their, their valuable efforts should support the military. And that, that's a completely legitimate uh, opinion that should be part of the discourse. I would only say to that employee, but as importantly to the leaders of these companies, uh, your company is worth uh, hundreds of billions of dollars in part because the U.S. government and the West protect your right to, to, to engage in international economic behavior. You live in a system, you drive streets on our streets, and we, we are prospering disproportionately. Uh, and 
there, there's a, you know, you can't live in a country and not support it. Last not least, I would point out to that employee that, and again, without being, you know, it, it, the, there's no, it, you can't force someone to work against their conscience, but you can remind them, America has very serious, very, very competent adversaries that have a very different view of how the world should work and very different views of human rights and economic justice than, than most people in America. And we are living in a world of complexity where we may need to defend ourselves. Last, not least, I would try to engage in a discourse around what do you think the consequences are going to be? Technologists realize that technology is nonlinear, so that it's much more, AI is much more like a, a which Pravik Maven is working on, is much more like a nuclear bomb than a machine gun. And if one side has a gun and the other side has a nuclear bomb, the side that has a bomb will often decide that their way of seeing the world is the way of seeing the world. And I don't believe America is perfect. I've written a lot of critical things about the West and America in my former years as an academic, and I still believe some of those critical things. Uh, but I believe that a world order that is defined by, broadly speaking, Western democratic norms, the rule of law, fairness, uh, separation of church and state, uh, 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 a general concept that things will be adjudicated in the court that will be followed is a better system than a system that doesn't have those things. And a, a country which does not have the equivalent of software nuclear warfare because its best people won't work on it is a country that will not be able to have engage in dialogue of equals on these very important issues. Last not least, what I would say to the head of Google or whomever I was talking to is, you know that America has the best software production in the world. You also know that if we do not work on it, the people who are the very best, that countries that are not as good at this will win. We have the best people does not, and the best companies. It does not mean we will have the best military technology if none of us work on it. And, and, and by the way, it's worthy of remembering this is not even an option in any other country, and not just in America. No French company can opt not to work with the French government. It's not, and, th and there are reasons for this. And I think one of the things, and as some of your viewers know, I, I, I gave to Biden, and one of the things I'm hopeful about is that there'll be a less politicized environment. And a lot of these problems are actually only solved where people, a wider swath of people are willing to actually say, we don't agree on some issues, but we do agree on these issues. And we're actually going to put our technology, our spirit, our efforts together and actually do something that, that, that can work. And in the national security context, especially technologists who know this is not non this is a non-linear situation, need to be involved because they they understand this is the whole reason their companies are dominant because you can't compete with a world-class software company if you're not world-class. So, uh, Alex Carp, uh, I want to thank you for the broadest ranging conversation on subjects that, that really matter. A lot of what we we're just talking about now goes to the question of the United States and China. Um, uh, we'll ask you to come back, uh, I hope before long, and talk about how the Biden administration is doing with some of these technology issues. But thank you for joining us today on Washington Post Live. So thank you for uh, taking this time. afternoon at three o'clock, my colleague Jonathan Capehart will discuss the storming of the Capitol the day ago. His guests include Congressman Ro Khanna and former Senator Jeff Flake. So thanks to everybody for joining us and we'll see you later today on Washington Post Live.
Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.